You guys, I don't know if you guys have been already been touched by the Holy Spirit. I have. Uh, how, how about our worship team for leading us straight to the throne? Amen. Thank you. We, we praise God for your talent. Um, this past Wednesday, we had just a major victory. I just want to share with you guys. We started off our family ministry, uh, which is this, this particular 10 weeks, we're doing a series on marriage called Marriage on the Rock. We had 33 people signed up for it. We had 37 people show up for it, and it was just a huge win uh, for those investing in marriage. Also, um, there were a, a, a flood of kids over in the children's ministry, and I took a picture of Jenny after last Wednesday night, and here it is. Yeah, so... So uh, if, if any of you are looking for uh, volunteer opportunities, um, we have had way too many kids on Wednesday night, which is a great problem to have, amen? Uh, but we need some help uh, starting this Wednesday. So please talk to Jenny if you are willing to, to volunteer from 7 to 8.30 on, on Wednesday night. Uh, there were more than 30 kids there, uh, and uh, that's approaching Sunday morning uh, numbers, and we need help. So if you don't want Jenny looking like this, again, bring it back up. If you don't want Jenny looking like this, then volunteer, okay? So uh, thank you guys very much. But Jenny, what a, an amazing ministry you've got going on there, and... Uh, and it's just phenomenal. And if you are interested in our marriage ministry, we're only one uh, week in, so you can register on our website or talk to me. We'd love to have you there if you want to do marriage more intentionally. It, 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 last week was phenomenal, and it's just going to get better each week. So come talk to me, 7 to 8.30 Wednesday nights. All right, so we're going to get started here. Um, I, I, I have a scripture up here that I want you guys to look up is James chapter 1 verse 2 through 4 and every person should have this underlined in your bible or highlighted on you version or whatever because uh, this is probably one of the most significant passages at least in my life as a christian and it says this remember James is the brother of Jesus and he was writing this he said consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what the Lord is telling us here is that he wants us to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And the problem is, guys, is when I think of the words mature and complete, the church is not something that comes to mind. <clears throat> when I think of the church, I don't think of the words mature and complete so many of us, by our own admission, uh, are still struggling with the same sins we were struggling with 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. We've seen no victory over sin in our lives. Um, many of us, by our own admission, are just miserable failures when it comes to any type of devotion, quiet time, regular study of scripture, regular prayer time. Um, many of us, uh, unfortunately, in the church, oh, present company excluded, of course, uh, lead lives that look no different from any other unbeliever, except for the fact that you come to church on Sunday morning. And so why is it that if this is God's goal for us to be mature and complete, we see so little of it in the church? I think it's because of this, because we do not have a good belief system, good theology of trials and testing of our faith. We, many times, whenever hard times hit, or suffering hits, instead of considering it pure joy, we 
question God. We say, well, God, why are you doing this? Uh, What have I done? Aren't you there? Don't you care? I know that I do that. I think that's a natural thing for humans to do. But we don't have a good system to understand trials. We don't understand that those trials are what are leading us to be mature and complete. And so many of us quit when the hard times come. When the suffering happens, we quit. Instead of persevering, instead of receiving the blessing that's on the other side of that trial. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have so little maturity and completeness in the church. And I I have to confess that as a pastor, I have not done a good job of telling people about the pure joy of the trial. That's part of it. And I get the question all the time, um, why, does, why do bad things happen to Christians? Why, why, do, why is there suffering on the world, in the world? Well, that's actually the wrong question to ask because people go through suffering all the time and never question why. Uh, I, as a college athlete, um, I went through the, the, the absolute Hades of preseason. Uh, four practices a day, you know, burning four or 5,000 calories a day. Uh, I mean, destroying your body, uh, going, running, sprinting, jumping, calisthenics, practice, hard practice, uh, running two miles under 12 minutes every morning at 6 a.m., all this stuff. And I never questioned why. Well, I knew why. Because we were trying to win the NCAA championship, and that's what it took. So I didn't mind going through the suffering because I knew why? Um, those of you that are moms in here, y'all have been through the suffering of childbirth, but you never questioned why God is doing this to you because you knew the reason why the suffering was there. So I think what we need to know is why the trials are happening, why the suffering is happening, because if we know that, then we can deal with immense, immense amount of suffering. And so here in the church today, I want to tell you that the suffering you're, you're going through is making you mature and complete. It is a trial that will, that, that will develop perseverance in you. And so with that being said, I want to take you to what I believe to be the most glorious moment in Scripture. There are a lot of glorious moments in Scripture, but I want to take you to what I consider the most glorious moment in Scripture. And that's what we come to in our Luke study, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now why do I think this is the most glorious moment in scripture? Well, I'll tell you, I'm glad you asked. Because this is the only time in scripture where all three parts of the Trinity are present at the same time. Voice from heaven, God the Father, Jesus being baptized, Holy Spirit ascending, descending in bodily form like a dove. Only time in scripture you see all three parts of, of, of the Godhead, of the Trinity, right there. And had you been there, you would have fallen face down in worship. The great, most glorious moment maybe in the history of the universe. And so this is what uh, we call a mountaintop experience. Our youth just got back from TCTC, Tennessee Christian Teen Convention, and that was a mountaintop experience. The worship, the speaking, the time together, the pranks played on Rowan. That's as good as it gets, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I was a youth minister. I had those pranks played on me, too. Uh, That's a mountaintop experience, a great worship service, uh, uh, your your baptism. uh, You're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a mountaintop experience. Unfortunately, the church has prized those experiences more than the opposite. We think that the Christian faith is lived at those mountaintop experiences, and 
it is not. See, what I found is this right here, okay? I see my graph here. This is joy, and this is time. Now, unfortunately, I did not come up with this illustration. I have to give pa uh, credit to Pastor Wayne Cordero from Hawaii. Uh, I, 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 unfortunately, I was disqualified for being president of Harvard University by citing my source, okay? But, uh, but anyway, so, um, but this is... This is my graph here. So when you are baptized, when you, when you have a, a, a mountaintop experience, your joy is flying up here. Okay, it's way up here on the graph. The problem is, is that your faith is still here, and God is building faith in you. But your faith is immature. And here is nothing but air. Your joy is here, but your faith is here. Everybody following me? Okay. And whether or not God causes this or he allows it to happen is a different sermon for a different day. But what God always, what always happens in life is a thing, and I'm just going to call it it. It. It is a devastating event in life that causes immense stress, grief, pain, and after which you are changed forever. That's what it is. Okay, there are three guarantees in life. Death, taxes, and it. And if you have not had it happen to you, you will. Okay, you will. And what happens when it happens? It could be a divorce. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be the loss of a job or career. It could be in a, a public embarrassment where you're shown to be less than you thought you were. Whatever it is, whatever this it is, what happens is your joy comes crashing down to the level of your faith. See, the bubble here gets popped, and that's what happens. And the same thing happened to Jesus. After his mountaintop experience, immediately after his mountaintop experience in Luke chapter 3, then we pick up here in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, everybody say full, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, this is where our English Bible lets us down. Um, the English translation is pretty inaccurate. The word led means it's kind of like he was kind of, you know, taking him by the hand and leading him. The original Greek word indicates more of a pushing, more of a, you get the sense that this is not something Jesus did willingly. This was, he was forced, he was pushed by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. At the end of them, he was very hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man should not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written. 
worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the high price point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Now, verse 14 says that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. What was he after the mountaintop? Full of the Holy Spirit. But it was after the desert where he suffered, where he fasted, where he underwent deprivation, where he was tempted. That was when he, lit, he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. People, you can live life full of the Holy Spirit. No doubt that every baptized believer is full of the Holy Spirit. But my question is, are you living powerfully in the Spirit? That's the question. The question isn't, is a whole, are, are you full of the Holy Spirit? The question is, are you living in the power of the Holy Spirit? Because that is what God wants for us, being mature and complete, not lacking anything. Okay? I have found in my life that a powerful life in Christ is not found, as wonderful as they are, at the, the conventions, at the, at the worship services, at the mountaintop experiences. That's not where the power is found. It is found through the trial and the temptation, and the suffering, and the questioning, and the devastation of it. Only on the other side of it is there the life that God wants you to live. Okay? See, the rest of, of Luke chapter 4 is talking about how Jesus lived powerfully. It says, it says uh, he preaches in his hometown. And he upset so many people. They take him to the, to the uh, uh, edge of a cliff to throw him off. Now, you have to upset people pretty badly in order to want them to, th to throw you off a cliff. But then the Bible says that Jesus just walked right through them. Here's a mob wanting to kill you, and you just walk through them? That's power. I mean, that's power. Where a mob won't even touch you because they're afraid of you, he just walks right through them. It's power. He does some serious spiritual warfare by casting out demons. If you haven't seen the movie Nefarious, you need to see the movie Nefarious. Okay, I highly recommend that you do so. Chapter four ends with Jesus healing all kinds of people, demonstrations of his power, okay? So, and this isn't something that I learned in a classroom or in a service as wonderful as classrooms and worship services are. A lot of you guys know my story, a lot of you don't. But here it is, in 2004, my wife and I were in a good place. I was in a, a good youth ministry down in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we had two kids, our two little girls, were, and, and I wanted a family of four. I figured America was designed for a family of four. Sedans, tables, family of four. We don't need any more. We're good. On, on Rachel's birthday, January 5th, we found out that we were expecting another child. And we can only surmise that this child was um, going to be very special um, because we were not trying. We were, we, we, we'd, we'd done a good job of, of being careful. And yet, here we were, expecting a child. And so, we, like I said, we just, we just figured this child would be very, very special. 
Well, uh, at the 20-week ultrasound, back then you only got one ultrasound. How many, how many of y'all had children like the early 2000s? Remember what the ultrasounds looked like? They're grainy, look like blobs. You know, you know, you know, like the doctor says, well, there's the head. You're like, okay. Uh, you know, you, 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 uh, you might as well, I don't know. But anyway, so we went there for the 20-week ultrasound to Vanderbilt Hospital, and we took our two little girls with us, and, and, um, and it was just going to be real exciting. Going to see your new sibling. Might be another girl, might be a boy. And 20 minutes became 25 minutes, became 30 minutes. And my wife, who's a nurse, uh, uh, said, um, there's something wrong. And I was like, sweet, don't, don't do that. We, we don't know. We don't know. Well, the doctor came in and, um, and said, uh, you need to sit down. There's a problem. And the doctor said, your child has hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And I said, well, what's hypoplastic left heart syndrome? And said, well, the heart has four chambers, two atria, two ventricles. The left ventricle pumps blood to the whole body. Your child doesn't have a left ventricle. And, um, and I said, that's bad. And he goes, yeah. He goes, it's 100% fatal without surgery. There are three options. One, you can choose what's called compassionate care, which means you can take your child home, hold, hold your child till it dies. Second, there's a series of three surgeries called the NORA procedure where we redesign, reroute the heart. Uh, and the third is a heart transplant. But he, he said, I, just in full disclosure, heart transplants for infants are, are, are not, very, not very real. It's not a, not a real solution. Uh, we basically have to find an infant who's, who's been abused, uh, with head trauma, brain dead, um, to put that in. He said, and thank goodness we don't have a lot of them. It's very hard to find a heart. And, uh, and so we, we got sent over to the, uh, the high-risk OB to confirm the diagnosis, and we found out that it was a boy, our first boy. And the high-risk OB said this, said, now, many parents, when they get this diagnosis, choose to abort. I, I, I knew that I was pro-life to that point, but I didn't know how pro-life I was until someone suggested taking the life of my own flesh and blood. And we told the doctor in no uncertain terms that that, that was not an option, never to bring it up again. Um, and doctor immediately changed tactics and said, okay, well, we'll monitor, and, um, and we'll just we'll keep, keep monitoring for the next five months. And the next five months, you guys... Um, like I said, I was in youth ministry. I felt like a zombie. Um, and I, I was teaching the kids that God loves them when feeling completely unloved by God. Uh, I, was feel, I was teaching the kids that God was always there for them while, while I was feeling completely hung out to dry by God. Um, I, was, I was telling the, the, the kids that prayer was powerful all while seeing no answers to our prayers. Every time we go back to the doctor, no change, no change. We pray for healing, we pray for healing, no change. And so on September, well, let me back up. What, what I found out during that time, what God taught me during that time, was sometimes you do what's right because it's right, not because you're necessarily seeing the results. See, guys, Sometimes when God calls us to things, we're not necessarily going to see results all of a sudden or at all. He calls us to do what's right because it's right. 
It's a hard lesson to learn. On September 5th, 2004, arrived and, and, uh, and our son was born. We named him Jacob Benjamin Kibler. And from the moment he was born and went to the, to the NICU, uh, he, he didn't do well. He kept spiking a, a fever. They were supposed to do surgery within the first three or four days. His fever kept spiking, so we weren't able to do that. And the entire time that we were there, we held him and we, we prayed for him and we, we sung to him and we, we loved on him and, 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 and everything. It, 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 we, we treated him like a child should be treated. And on the 14th, they finally cleared him for the first round of the surgery. Now, Jacob was over eight pounds. It was eight pounds, nine ounces, and the success of this surgery went up over eight pounds. So I was feeling very confident that, that, that things would go well. We had a great surgeon at one of the best hospitals in the nation, Vanderbilt Hospital. Um, we, 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 he was covered in prayer, and certainly God wouldn't hang out one of his pastors to dry, right? Certainly God would give us the testimony of a miraculous healing to share to the world of the goodness and the power of God. That was what I was thinking on that day. Well, we got there early and we, we covered him in prayer. We had the whole family, had our whole church down there praying for us. And he went back into surgery. And it was going to be about a seven or eight hour surgery, so we, we you know, wasn't a whole lot to do. Just kind of sat there in the waiting room. And about 10 a.m., I believe, 9.30 or 10 a.m., I got a phone call from my mom. My mom was up here in Lexington um, was in touch with a, a, a friend of hers who was a mighty prayer warrior. And the mighty prayer warrior had just called my mom and said, I just had a word from the Lord. And the Lord just told me, Jacob is mine, and I'm going to take care of him. And mom called me and told me that, relayed that message to me. And I said, praise God. What a great thing. I, I, I was thinking that this would be, this, 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 that's it, wonderful. And so I was flying kind of high. And he came out of surgery later that afternoon, evening, and, uh, and the doctor said everything went well, went, went real well. Um, heart hasn't started yet. But that's normal, probably start in the next several hours. So he's on the bypass machine, he's on the life support machine until his heart restarts. Well, hour after hour after hour after hour went by. And the heart didn't start. And they came and got us and asked us for permission to use some epinephrine to, to get the heart restarted. And we said, well, sure, go do it. And they did that. A few hours later, they asked permission to use shock paddles to get the heart started. Please, please do. And about 6 o'clock on September 15th, 6 in the morning, we were, we were staying there at the hospital. We... Um, we got a call from the pediatric cardiologist who'd been working with us, who'd been, who had been such a support. It's been so wonderful to us. Christian man, Dr. Liskey, never forget him. He, he called us back into the room, 
and he said, I've got bad news. Um, his heart's dead. It's not coming back. And he showed us the ultrasound, but I didn't even see the ultrasound. I saw my son. It was on the table. You could barely see him under the mass of wires and tubes and, 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 and monitors. And there was, this, there was this hole in his chest right here where they had, to, where they had, had cut in there to go do the surgery with a little dressing over it. And he was just laying there on the table. And, um, and he said, we can put him on the transplant list. And right then I just kind of zoned out and, 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 and I didn't even hear what he was saying. My wife and I looked at each other, and, and we said, um, no, no, we're, we're not going to do that. He's been through enough. Never even set foot outside the NICU. Never even seen a tree. Never even felt the sun on his face. We're not going to keep him like this. We're going to let him go. See, guys, when you love someone, you do what's best for them. Not what's best for you. What would have been best for me and my wife would be to keep him here because we love him. He was our son. But that was what was best for us. What was best for him was to stop the medical treatment, to stop the being stuck, to stop the surgeries, to stop all that and let him go be in the arms of Jesus. Like the scripture says with a glorified body, no, no messed up heart, no, no, no drugs, no, no nothing. And we said, we're just going to let him go. And the doctor looked at us and he nodded his head very slightly and he said, I would do the same thing. He goes, you're doing the right thing. And so we called in the family. Everybody came down and we filled his, his room with his family and people that loved him. And we, we prayed and we, we sang some worship songs and, and we, we, we prayed for him. We kissed him. We told him we loved him. We'd see him in heaven. And when everything had been said and everything had been done and everybody had said what they needed to say and hugged him and everything as a baby should be. All the family went out. My wife and I were just there um, a few last moments with him. And, and um, after my wife and I said what we needed to say, I looked at the, the, the tech, the, the bypass machine tech who was in the room with us, and, and, and I said, it's time. I said, what do I do? And he said, well, just place him on the table and, and I'll just turn the machine off. And it was about a 10-foot walk. It's not long. But um, if we have any athletes in here, you know what it means to lift to muscle failure. You know what that means, muscle failure? It means you couldn't lift it again if your life depended on it. Your muscles are completely done. They're exhausted. Um, I, as I, I was holding him, and I said, if I stand up, I'm going to fall over. My, my, I felt like I did leg, leg day times 10. I had, no, I had nothing, y'all. I had nothing. I couldn't do it. And in that instant, I, I don't know if there was an angel in the room with us. I don't know. But all I know 
is that I felt something like an arm around my shoulder. And it was like the Lord was whispering to me, let's walk this together, come on. And you, you know, you've seen those war movies where, where the guy's wounded and his buddy, you know, grabs hold of him and, 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 and he, he pulls him to safety. That's exactly what happened. I, I, I walked the 10 feet and the second I placed Jacob on the table, it was gone. Like you see, God gives you what you need, very little, uh, no more, no less. Very rarely to give you more than you need. He gives you what you need. I found that out during this time. And as I placed him on the table, the tech just turned the machine off. And my wife and I entered a club that no one wants to be in, the parents who have outlived their children. This is his picture right here. He'd be 19 years old right now. But on the, on the drive home, this is where I was. Any joy, any happiness had come crashing down to the level of my faith. And we had about a 30-minute drive. This was my it, y'all. Devastating life event after which you're changed forever. And in that 30 minutes drive home from the hospital, I just have a couple questions for you all. After going through that, do you think it mattered what kind of car I was driving? You think that mattered? No. Did it matter how big the house I was going back to was? Did it matter if I had a six-pack abs? Did it matter... How, much, how many dollars I had in the bank. Did any of that matter, I want to ask you, in that moment? No, not at all. See, guys, when it happens, God destroys, he, he pulls back the curtain and he destroys this narrative that our world shoves at us, saying that this is important. He, all this stuff that this world shoves in our face and screams at us all day long is so important. God just destroys all that. And in that moment, guys, the only thing that was real, there's only one thing that was real in that moment. You know what it was? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the only answer to my sufferings, the only answer to my life being blown apart was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Guys, I was not saying, hey, I just held my son in my arms and watched him die, but I'm sure glad I got some new clothes in the closet. I didn't say, I just, I just entered a club of parents that outlived their children, but I bet I got some good Amazon boxes waiting on the porch. Okay? God showed me the ridiculousness, the futility the meaninglessness of all the things that have been screaming for my attention my whole life. And in that moment, guys, I vowed for the rest of my life that I would spend the entire time preaching to as many people as I could in as many places that I could about the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because in that moment, guys, when it happened, I realized that God was all I had. And I, you don't know, you never realize that God is all you need until he is all you have. And if it takes it 
to learn that lesson, then he will allow it to happen. The wonderful thing about Jesus, the wonderful thing about God, is that the story doesn't end here. It's Friday. Sunday's coming. See, guys, about a year later, almost exactly a year later, on September 15, 2005, my wife and I were on our way to the cemetery to go remember Jacob and, and to uh, just think about him, celebrate his first birthday. And um, we had just found out that we were expecting our fourth. Maybe around that time. And as we got to, anybody been to Lexington Cemetery? Been like, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's one of the top ten arboretums in America. Well, there's a place where they bury the infants, you all. It's called the Garden of Innocence. Probably one of the most innocent places on the face of the earth. And the tombstones, they're, they're you know, this far apart, all infants. And our son's tombstone is, was right here, and there's this beautiful bench under a tree that's right next to it. And we sat down on this bench, and we were just looking at pictures and remembering our son. My wife was sitting here, and I was sitting here, and Jacob's tombstone was right there. And I, it just hit me all of a sudden, you all, that on one side of me is grief and death and devastation. And on the other side is a new work, new life. And in that moment, God spoke to me and he said, when I am concerned, death never has the final say. I'm always doing something new. Praise God. And on March 15th, 2006, the guy playing the drums over there was born. Sam. What I found, you guys, is that after it, God begins building your faith, and he builds your faith, and he builds your faith, and he builds your faith, and your joy recovers to where it was after the mountaintop. Only this time, it's built on something real. It's not based on air. It's built on faith. And when your joy is based on faith, people, that is when you are mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that is God's goal for you. And that is why it happens. That is why you are undergoing the trial you are undergoing. And I want to tell you as a living testimony to it that God always, always, always restores your joy. If you don't quit, if you don't quit, this is your future right here. Joy based on faith, not air. Faith, this is your future. That is God's plan for you. And when your joy is based on faith, you will live powerfully. You will, be, you will live life as Jesus was described in the power 
of the Holy Spirit. And that is what I want for this church. That I want for you. That's what I want for myself. And that's what I want for the body of Christ everywhere is for us to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So if you're going through it, and some of you are, understand, first of all, it's normal. This is not something, it isn't something that is abnormal. This is normal. This is a part of your faith. And that God is leading you through it. And he will restore your joy. It's 100% guaranteed if you don't quit. Don't quit on the church. Don't quit on God. Don't quit on your friends. Don't quit on your family when you're going through it because God will restore your joy. 100% of the time. And I am a living testimony to that. Is September 5th a tough day? Yeah. God heals. There's still scars. Yeah. Will you ever forget what happened during it? No. No, you won't. But God makes it okay. Does that make sense? He doesn't rid you of the memories, of the, but he makes it okay. See, guys, losing my son was the most devastating thing that ever happened to me. But God's made it okay to talk about it and to remember him and to use his story to bring thousands to him. Okay? That's what God does in it. So keep going, church. Don't quit. This is part of it. And when you are going through it, Consider it pure joy because God is doing something in you that you could never, ever, ever imagine. God bless you. See you next week.